We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 9. And, of course, a uh, couple of weeks ago, before the Red Hot Preaching Conference, we uh, finished our Wednesday night Bible study that we were in in the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, tonight, we were really supposed to be starting a new uh, book of the Bible and a, a new Bible study for Wednesday night. But uh, as I thought about it, I just I decided that since we've been on this series, this journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is such a long gospel, and it has so many interesting things. We've been kind of going through it a little slowly. I just thought that maybe for a little while, if it's okay with you, not that you have a choice, but um, if it's okay with you, we'll uh, travel through Luke on Wednesday nights as well, just to try to make up some time. I don't want to be in, in Luke for the rest of my life, but uh, I, there are there are some obviously amazing stories in this chat in this uh, book of the Bible, and I'd like to be able to get through some of it. I told you when we started uh, the Gospel of Luke that 2022 would be the year of Jesus. And it, and it really is going to be. Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you're going to get Jesus. I hope, it's, you're, I hope it's not too much Jesus for you. And uh, I, hope, I hope you like Jesus. And uh, so we're, we're here in Luke chapter 9. And uh, tonight, the passage that is before us is really one, probably one of, the, I mean, a, a very famous passage in Scripture. It's a very well-known story. It's definitely the most famous miracle uh, of the miracles that Jesus performed, other than, of course, the miracle of his own resurrection. The feeding of the 5,000 is probably the most well-known miracle uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, up there with, with turning water into wine, and, and, and there's, there's famous miracles. In fact, this, uh, this, this miracle is, is one of the reasons it's so well-known is because it's documented in all four of the Gospels. When you have the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not all of the, of course, these are parallel passages. Uh, often they have parallel passages. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, what know, are, are what's known as the synoptic gospels. And what that means is that a lot of the stories are parallel and they give you different views of the same story. John is laid out a little differently. Uh, but what's unique, because John is not a synoptic gospel, John does not follow the same uh, storyline and the same structure as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's common to have the same stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but when you have them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's very unique. And what that tells us is that it's very important, and it's something that God wanted us to, to be very aware of. So this, this miracle of the feeding of 5,000 is found in all four of the Gospels, and it's, of course, a very uh, uh, just an amazing story. And tonight, I'd like for us to study it. We'll just walk through it, and I'll give you several points tonight. Of course, uh, I'd, love you to, I'd love for you to write down some notes, and I'll, I'll give you three points, and maybe you can jot these down on the back of the course of the week, or if you've got uh, a notebook to take notes on. If you notice there in Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, the Bible says, And the apostles, when they were returned, told them all that they had done. And if, if, if you were with us on Sunday night, of course, you remember that we learned about the Lord Jesus Christ taking the 12 and commissioning them to go out and to preach the gospel. There were some special things he did for the 12. He gave them special powers. He gave them special provision. But we really learned about the fact that discipleship is mentoring and then uh, involving others. He demonstrated, then he participated. He sent them out. They preached the gospel. They cast out devils. They performed miracles. And after this big missions trip and this big uh, soul-winning marathon that these disciples had, they come back and they report to Jesus everything that they did and all the great uh, stories. And in verse 10, we see there, and the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. So they come back. So you need to understand the context here. They come back from their missions trip. They've been working, preaching, knocking doors, doing all this work. They come back to Jesus. Tell, they tell him all that they had done. And the Bible says there in verse 10, And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So the Bible tells us that Jesus took them aside 
privately into a desert place. Now, when the Bible here uses the word desert place, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a desert, the way that you and I would think of a desert. It means that it's a, a deserted place, an uninhabited place, a private place, somewhere where they could get away. And really, what Jesus is doing for the disciples here is he's taking the disciples. They just got back from this uh, soul-winning missions trip that they went on, and now he's taking them aside for some rest and relax, uh, relaxation. He's uh, helping them to get some time off. He's taking them to this deserted place, to this place, in order that they might be able to have some time off. And what we learn from this story of the feeding of the 5,000, and something that you may not be aware of if you haven't uh, really taking the time to kind of dig into it, is that this very well-known miracle of the feeding of the, of the 5,000 happened as an interruption to the day off of the disciples. The disciples were supposed to be on holiday. They were supposed to be on vacation. They had gone away with the Lord Jesus Christ for a little bit of rest, a little bit of relaxation, and praise the Lord for it. The Bible teaches that you should rest, and we don't live in the Old Testament, but the principle of the Sabbath day is obviously a good principle. Everybody should take time to rest. Everybody should take time to relax. But here we see something very interesting about serving the Lord and about being in ministry, because this, this story really has to do with the idea of serving God with your life. And when it comes to serving God, the first lesson we get from the story, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Number one, we see the demand of serving God. See, these men had been out working and they were ready to rest. They were looking forward to having a day off. You're there in Luke chapter 9. Flip uh, back to Matthew chapter 14, if you would. Matthew chapter 14, we'll see the same story in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, remember the story is found in all four Gospels. We'll, we'll head to all four Gospels before the sermon's done. Matthew 14, look at verse 13. Matthew 14, 13, the Bible says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship, notice, into a desert place apart. But notice what happens. And when the people had heard, therefore they followed him on foot out of the cities. So we, here we have Jesus if you remember, he's ministering. This is his Galilean ministry. If you've ever taken time to look at the map, maybe in the back of your Bible, you'll notice that the northern part of Israel has a body of water right in the middle of it called the Sea of Galilee. And the Galilean ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ surrounded that Galilean Sea. They are serving, the, they are ministering and working on that shore of Galilee. In order to get away, Jesus gets on a ship and he takes that ship with his disciples, the Bible tells us, into a desert place. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the city. So they literally walked around the Sea of Galilee to where Jesus was. Notice verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. So I want you to understand the story here. Jesus was taking his disciples away for some rest and relaxation, and the, the, the multitudes followed him on foot. And when Jesus saw them, the Bible tells us, he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. You say, what is it that Jesus did? Keep your finger right there in Matthew. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Luke chapter 9. Jesus, when he saw the people, he gave up on his day off and began to minister unto them. He had taken the disciples aside to go get some rest, to go take some time off. And of course, this is, these are good things. The Bible teaches that you should get rest and all those things. But the people followed him and the need was pressing. And Jesus decided, hey guys, our day off is over. And he ended up spending that day ministering unto them, helping them. Look at Luke 9 and verse 11. Notice what the, the, the Bible says. And the people, when they knew it, when they knew what? When they knew that Jesus had went aside privately into a desert place, they followed him. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus does not say, hey, guys, listen, I'm, we're closed for the day. He didn't say, hey, guys, this is my day off. He didn't say, hey, guys, you know, we're done. No, the Bible says, and he received them. See, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to serving God, which serving God is really a reference to serving others, 
as a result of our love for God, we have to understand that there is a demand for serving God. There is a demand for serving the Lord. There is a demand in which tells us that, look, sometimes the demand of ministry is that it's going to interrupt your day off. Go back to Matthew, if you would, Matthew 14. I want you to notice this. Because really, there, there's the story is about feeding 5,000, but there's this underlying theme which can be applied to ministry. It can be applied to, to the ministry, if you're a pastor or an ordained leader in ministry, but it can be applied to the ministry that applies to everyone, which is the ministry of the Great Commission. Notice there in Matthew 14 and verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, when you read the words, he moved with compassion toward them, that ought to remind you of another very famous verse in Matthew chapter 9, if you would go there, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, notice these words again, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, the result of this great miracle, this well-known miracle of feeding of the 5,000, you say, when did it happen? It happened on Jesus' day off. It happened on the disciples' day off. And I won't take the time to really uh, just, you know, point it out to you. But in the other Gospels, you'll find, as you read it carefully, that the disciples get kind of upset with Jesus at the fact that they were looking forward to some time off, and he ruins their day off by having them work. But the lesson is that there is a demand in serving God. See, serving the Lord does not give you a lot of room for self-centeredness or self-love. We live in a society today that says, well, you need to take time for yourself. You need to take time for self-love. You need to take care of yourself. You need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. The Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible says? That we ought to esteem others better than ourselves. And the lesson is that there is this demand in, on ministry. What is it? That we should allow other people's needs to come first before our own. We see this demand for serving God. And honestly, I'll be honest with you. You know, as a pastor, this is one reason why I've just decided a long time, I don't take days off. The main reason I don't take days off is because whenever I plan to take a day off, you know, somebody gets into trouble or somebody's life starts falling apart or whatever. So I just, I don't take, now I make sure our staff gets days off. I, I, I make sure that they get a day off every week and all that. I don't take days off. That doesn't mean I don't rest. Of course, I rest and I do take time uh, here and there to rest. But I, I, I really, there's no, there's no day that I'm just not available. And I want you to know that, you know, I just, you can contact me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All right. Now, if you contact me in the middle of the night, I might not be that attentive, but, you know, I'm, I'm there for you, all right? But in, in life, just in life, you have to realize when it comes to ministering to others, there's a demand, which says that we put others first. You know, mothers really understand this because when you start having children, you, you realize that they don't really care. Your kids don't really care if you've got a headache or you're not feeling well. They need you to take care of them. And there's a demand there in serving others. And we should just learn that, look, our lives are not about ourselves. There's no room for self-centeredness. There's no room for self-love. There's no room for, for wanting to focus on yourself because our lives ought to be in regards to others, helping others, loving others, being there for others when they need us. So we see this lesson, number one, the demand of serving God. The fact that this, these people showed up on Jesus' day off and they, had, uh, they, they, they needed him to minister and to help them. So we see the demand of serving God. Go back to Luke. Keep your place there in Matthew, if you would. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Luke chapter 9. I want you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the demand of serving God, but I want you to notice that we see the enabling for serving God. The disciples and Jesus were supposed to take the day off. These guys, these multitudes show up and Jesus is moved with compassion on them and he, uh, and he healed their sick. He begins to minister to them. And in Luke 9 and verse 12, the Bible says, And when the day began to wear away, what does that mean? That means the day was spent. 
the whole day, they spent the whole day ministering, talking, helping, loving. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, notice what the twelve said, send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and countries round about and lodge and get victuals. You see that word victuals? It's an older word. We don't use it a lot today. But the word victuals means food or provision. For we are here in a desert place. I want you to notice that the apostles, the, the twelve, they bring up to Jesus the fact that there's a great need. They've been ministering all day. But not only have they been ministering all day on their day off, when they were supposed to be relaxing, when they were supposed to be resting, not only have they been ministering the entire day in this desert place, they've also gone the entire day without eating. Because of the fact that they're in this desert place, and there were no restaurants or drive throughs to, to go through real quickly, there were no grocery stores. They, they were out in this deserted area. They've been ministering all day. The Bible tells us the day began to wear away, and the, the twelve came, and they said, Look, Jesus, you need to send the multitudes away and get victuals. These people need to eat. There was this great need that this multitude was there, and they were hungry. Go back to Matthew chapter 14. Notice what they said in, verse, in, in, in Matthew 14 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 15. The Bible says, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, notice what the disciples say, This is a desert place. Again, the word desert means deserted. There's not a lot here. And the time is now past. They said, Look, Jesus, we're out in the middle of nowhere and it's getting late. All right? Our day off's already been ruined. They said, send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. He said, these people are hungry. These people need to be fed. We haven't ate. You need to stop ministering and you need to send the people away that they may buy themselves food. They said, there's a great need. And by the way, the need was great. Go, go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 13. Luke 9 and verse 13, the Bible says, But he said unto them, I just want, I just want you to, to get, get the, the story, all right? They were on a mission trip working long hours ministering. They get back. Jesus said, Hey, guys, let's take a couple of days off. Let's go to a desert place. Let's relax. They go there, and when they go there, all these people show up with all their needs, Jesus was moved with compassion. He says, sorry, guys, no day off today. We're going to minister. We're going to preach. We're going to heal. We're going to cast out devils. After the day was far spent, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, you need to send these people away. It's getting late. We haven't ate all day. We're in a desert place. These people are getting hungry. And Jesus responds to them, verse 13, but he said unto them, give ye them to eat. They, say, he, they said, hey, send them away because they got to eat. And he says, why don't you feed them? Now, you might think to yourself, if you don't know the story, well, what's the big deal with Jesus asking them to give them to eat? The problem is that this was a great need. It was a great need. You say, why? Because it was a great multitude. Notice there again, verse 13. But he said unto them, give you them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. Notice verse 14. For they were about 5,000 men. The Bible tells us here that they were 5,000 men. This is why this uh, story is often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. But when we call it the feeding of the 5,000, I'll be honest with you, I don't mind people calling it that. I call it that. It's called the feeding of the 5,000 because of the fact that when they counted the multitude, they counted the men, and there were 5,000 men. But it's a little misleading because there was a lot more than 5,000 men there. Go back to Matthew 14. Now, 5,000 men is, is enough. I mean, if you had to feed 5,000 people, wouldn't you be overwhelmed? If Jesus looked at you and said, hey, I got 5,000 friends here, I'd like you to feed them, wouldn't you kind of be overwhelmed by that? How can I do that? But the thing is that this crowd was more than 5,000 men. Because in Matthew 14 and verse 21, the Bible says, 
and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men, notice, besides women and children. So there were 5,000 men there, but there were also women and children in that multitude. The women and children did not get counted. Only the men got counted. But we know that there was men, there were women, and there were children. We know there were 5,000 men. But look, if, if, if there was 5,000 men, it's very possible that there were 5,000 women or close to it. Unless, if it. unless it was the Red Hot Preaching Conference, then it'd be like, you know, like a lot less, <laughs> a lot less ladies. A lot less single ladies. It's a singles joke. Anyway, you, I shouldn't make that joke. The singles are home. <laughs> there were 5,000 men, and really, honestly, I mean, we're talking about children. I mean, if you have a husband or wife, you, you could have multiple children, many children. I mean, it's very possible that there were anywhere between fifteen and 20,000 people there that were hungry, that needed to be fed. This, 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 this need was great. And again, when you look at it, you say it was a need for physical uh, uh, feeding. When you look at it in the context of spirituality, you understand that the need is great. You're there in Matthew 14. Go back to Matthew 9. Look at verse 36. Remember, we saw, we made the connection between when Jesus said that he was moved with compassion. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Notice verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. See, the need is great. The need for the disciples to physically feed these individuals was a great need. But I'm here to tell you something. The need for you and I to be used of God to spiritually feed the masses out there that need to be fed. It's a great need. In fact, not only is it a great need, I would, I would put it this way, it's an impossible need. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what do you mean it's about you constantly preaching about soul winning, constantly trying to get us to go out soul winning? What would you mean? Look, the truth is this. You and I, this church, cannot reach everybody that needs to be reached. You can't. I can't. It's a great need. It's, it's like 12 men who have nothing going to Jesus and saying, hey, you got to send these people away. We haven't ate all day. They need to be fed. And Jesus looking at them saying, you feed them. And, and they, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but you would think that they would think to themselves, do you know how many people are here? We counted 5,000 people, 5,000 men, and they've got wives and children. I mean, there might be 20,000 people here. You expect us to feed them? Aren't you notice that there was a great need? A great need. And to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, not only was there a great need, but there was a great lack. Look at verse Luke 9. Keep your place there in Matthew. We'll come back to it. Luke 9, look at verse 13. When you read Jesus say to the disciples, you know, give them to eat, you might think to yourselves like, well, maybe the disciples, you know, maybe they just pack big lunches. You know, 12 grown men, maybe they eat a lot. They were going there, you know, this desert place. Maybe they were, were going to go camping. Maybe they brought a lot of food with them. And Jesus is just thinking like, well, you brought a lot of food, Right? You know, grill up those hamburgers, grill up those hot dogs, grill up that carne asada, and, and, and give them to eat. But when you read the story, you find that that was not the case. In fact, they came completely empty. Look at verse 13. But he said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more. They said, we don't have anything to feed them. He said, in fact, all, they said, in fact, all we have is, they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes. And they stole that from a kid. That wasn't even theirs. A lad offered that up to them. He says, give you them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. For they were about 5,000 men. And he said unto the disciples, unto his disciples, notice the last part of verse 14, make them sit down by fifties in a company. 
And they did so and made them all sick. Go to John, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, you're there in Luke, just flip over to John chapter 6. Not only was there this great need, 5,000 men, women and children, possibly, I mean, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, maybe 25,000 people there. Jesus says, give ye them to eat. They say, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes. John, 5, John 6, look at verse 5. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip. I, I like, I like the, the version John, because the version of John gives you more details in regards to the conversation. Here we're told that Jesus looked at Philip and he, and he asked this question, this question. He said, whence? The word whence means from where. He says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now no, notice what the Bible says there in verse 6. And this he said to prove him. See, Jesus is asking these men to do something that they are unable to do. Jesus is asking his followers to produce something that they are unable to produce. Jesus often will ask us to do what we're unable to do. You say, why? Why does God do this? If you notice in the Bible, you'll find this common theme that God is often asking his people to do that which they are unable to do. I mean, he brings them out of Egypt, brings them up to the Red Sea with Pharaoh behind them, and they're looking at and thinking, what are we supposed to do here? Are we, we don't have time to build boats, build a bridge. He brings this giant Goliath with this young lad, child, going to fight him. And you might think, this is an impossible task. This can't be accomplished. He looks at these 12 men. He says, feed these 20, 25,000 people. They say, and then he asks the question, from where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. The word prove means test. For he himself knew what he would do. You know that Jesus never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to? Notice verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. That gives you an idea as to how many people were there. You say, what is that 200 penny worth? You know, nobody really knows exactly what the amounts of these uh, Bible coins, these ancient time coins were. But here's what we do know. According to Matthew chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. But according to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, there's a parable that Jesus gives in which a penny is the wages for a laborer for an entire day. So a penny is not like what you and I think of a penny. In the Bible times, here's what we know. If a man went out into a field and worked for 12 hours, and he, earned, he would earn a penny, and that was a fair wage. So I don't know what that is, but you know, let's, let's say that a penny is $100 a day or $120 a day for, for somebody working out in, in the field, for an unskilled laborer working out in the field. Here we have Philip saying, hey, if we had... 200 penny worth. I mean, he, he, 200 penny worth would be like $24,000. He says, if we had $24,000 worth of food, that still wouldn't be enough for every one of them to take a little. See, the interesting story, the interesting thing about this story is that we see what God often does in the fact that he asks us to do what we're unable to do. You say, why? Here's why. Because he wants us to rely on him. Amen. See, the, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says that God will often ask us to do what we are unable to do, what we can't do. Why? That we would rely on him. But I want you to notice there's more, there's more than just relying. John 6, look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here. Remember, they didn't, even have, they didn't even have lunch themselves. There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. 
Notice, notice the question. But what are, they, what are they among so many? He says, look, Jesus, you're asking us to feed these 5,000 men, their wives, their children, 15, 20, maybe 25,000 people here. If we had $24,000 worth of food, it would not be enough to feed them all sufficiently. And, and, and then uh, uh, Andrew says, well, there is a lot here. There is a lot here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then he asks the question, he says, but what are they among so many? He says, what is this in comparison to the great need? See, there was a great need, but there was also a great lack. You say, why does God often ask us to fulfill a great need with such a great lack? Here's why, because he wants us to rely on him. But it's not just that. He also wants us to relinquish to him what we have. See, Jesus expects us to give him what we have. You say, well, all I've got is five barley loaves and two small fishes. There's 20,000 people out there. What are these among so many? What are they among so many? There's just a lot here. There's not, I've got nothing to give. And here's what Jesus said. Just give me what you have. I don't have much. Well, look, if you don't have much, then it should be easy to give it away. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have much to offer. Great. You don't have much to offer, then give it to Jesus. It shouldn't be hard to give it away. You say, what is it that Jesus wants from you and from me? He wants us to rely on him. And he wants us to relinquish ourselves to him. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. He wants us to get to the place in our lives where we say, you know what, Jesus, I don't have much, but what I've got, I give to you. Five barley loaves, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So we see that he wants us to rely on him. Jesus often will ask us to do that, which we're unable to do because he wants us to rely on him. We see that he wants us to relinquish to him. He expects us to give him what we have. You say, I don't have much. He expects it. He wants it. The Bible says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. You say, how much does Jesus want of my life? All of it. What, how many days does Jesus want? Sunday mornings? No. Oh, Sunday morning, Sunday night? No. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Good start. Well, what does he want? He wants your Monday. He wants your Tuesday. He wants your Wednesday. He wants your Thursday. He wants your Friday, your Saturday, your Sunday. If it's football season, if it's baseball season, if it's whatever season, God wants it all. You say it's not much. Then give it to him. It shouldn't be so hard. Look, remember the, 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 the widow with the two mites? It was easy for her to cast all her living because it wasn't much. When you and I realize that what Jesus wants from us is to rely on him because he asks us to accomplish what we are unable to do and he wants us to relinquish to him whatever it is that we have. But notice, go back to Luke chapter 9, look at verse 14. Not only does he want us to rely on him, not only does he want us to relinquish to him, there's also something that Jesus wants us to realize. Now, I, I, I love this story because of the fact that it's, it's just beautifully described. Luke chapter 9, verse 14, the Bible says, For they were about 5,000 men, and he said unto his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. By the way, I'm not preaching about this, but notice that Jesus was organized. He's got 5,000 men. He says, I want you to divide them into groups of 50. We're going to divide and conquer this thing. Notice verse 15. And they did so and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. Don't, don't miss this. Get, get this. get this picture. Here we have Jesus before 25,000 people possibly. They're all hungry. Apparently nobody has anything except this lad who had an overachieving mother that sent him with five barley loaves and two small fishes. The disciples bully the kid out of... No, I'm just kidding, David. He offers it. And Jesus says, sit down. They sit down, and the Bible says in verse 16, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And just envision this. And looking up to heaven, 
the Bible says. Oftentimes when you and I pray, we pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible teaches that there are different ways and different postures of prayer, and I do believe that probably head bowed and eye closed is a, a reverent way for us to pray, but we see sometimes at other times people de- praying in different postures, and at this event we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us he was looking up to heaven. He blessed them. You say, he blessed who? The five loaves and two fishes. He blessed them and break and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And he said, what, what is it that happened here? Here's what happened. Jesus took what they gave him. He looked up to heaven and he blessed it. He didn't bless them, the people. I'm sure he blessed them too. But he blessed the five barley loaves and the two small fishes. He blessed it. He thanked God for it. He thanked God that somebody was willing to rely and relinquish what they had to him. He broke it and he began to distribute it. The interesting thing is that Jesus took these five barley loaves, these two small fishes, he began to rip them, began to rip them. He began to break them, and he began to give these pieces to the disciples. And as the disciples received these pieces, they began to distribute them uh, uh, around to these groups of 50. And he, just, he, he, he kept breaking, and he, he kept breaking, and he kept breaking, and he kept breaking, and he just never stopped. He, he kept ripping the bread, and he kept breaking the fish, and it just kept coming. I'm sure the disciples, when he first began to break, they thought, okay, this is gonna fit we're going to feed like the first three people. But then they fed the first three, and the next three, and the first 50, and the next 50, and on and on and on it went till the Bible says in verse 17, and they did eat and were all filled. They did eat and were all filled. Do you know what the secret is to being mightily used of God? You say, what's the secret of being mightily used of God? Here's the secret. You realize you're nothing, you give it to Jesus, and you let him break you. Amen. So I want the blessing of God. Well, notice, he blessed it, then he break it. He blessed it, then he broke it. You see, God doesn't just bless you to bless you. He blesses you to use you. I'm not willing to give him what I have. Then you, no blessing. And no breaking. And no feeding. And no accomplishing. You say, I can't do what God has called me to do. Let me let you in on a little secret. No one can. You can't. I can't. Why does God, what does God want from us? He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to relinquish ourselves to him. And he wants us to realize that when he uses us, it's him doing it, not us. Amen. Paul said, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You look at men who have been mightily used of God, praise God for it. Realize something. It is God who enabled them. It is God who blessed them. It is God who broke them. It is God who used them. It is God who enabled them. It is God who was able to use them in a mighty way because they relied on him, because they relinquished themselves to him, because they realized that it was he doing the work. So when it comes to serving God, not only do we see the demand of serving God, what's the demand? The demand is that God may interrupt your day off. Say, well, Pastor, you want me to go out sowing? Saturday is my day off. Well, Jesus worked on his day off. We see the demand of serving God, and we see the enabling of serving God. There was a great need, and there was a great lack. There was a great need. You say, well, here's what happened. See, they brought this truck in, and it had all this food. No. Someone was willing to give up of themselves. And God blessed it, and God broke it. And he blessed it, and he broke it. And he blessed it, and he broke it until they were all filled. So we saw, number one, the demand of serving God. 
We saw number two, the enabling of serving God. Let me show you thirdly tonight the benefit of serving God. Remember our broke friends, the 12 disciples? Look at Luke 9 and verse 17. And they did eat and were all filled. 5,000 men, their wives, their children, maybe 10,000, maybe 15,000, maybe 20,000, maybe 25,000 people there. They did eat and were all filled. That, that phrase, were all filled, means they ate till they were full. They didn't, just have enough, they didn't just have a little bit. They ate till they were full. They're like, oh, the disciples were offering more. Oh, I'm stuffed. I'm stuffed. Now I'm good. Thank you. They did eat till they were full. Notice, last part of verse 17. And there was taken up of fragments that remained. Not only is Jesus organized, he's clean. He sends the disciples out there. He's like, he, they, they come back. He's breaking and breaking and breaking. They come back. Jesus, they're full. Everybody's full. We don't need any more food. He, and they said, in fact, Jesus, they're so full. They're so full that there's lots left over. Some people didn't even eat everything. Jesus said, well, why don't you go around and pick up all the fragments? Why don't you go around and pick up everything that's left over? Notice, notice verse 17. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them. Don't miss it. Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets full of food are left over. Here's, here's, here's what's interesting about that number twelve. You'll notice in the Bible that God has numbers he likes. They come up often. Three, seven, seventy, twelve, forty. These are numbers that come up a lot. Here the Bible tells us there was 12 baskets full. You say, what's, what's the reason for that or what's so interesting about that? Here's what's interesting. They started with 12 men who had nothing. Remember? He started with 12 men who said, we have no more. Yeah, we brought lunch, Jesus, but we ate that like six hours ago. We have no more but five loaves and two fishes. The story begins with 12 men who had nothing, and it ends with 12 men who had 12 baskets full. You say, what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. You can't outgive God. When you give your little insignificant amount to God, He gives you back more than what you started with. You say, we gave you five loaves and two fish. They weren't even ours. They were from this kid. And they walked away with 12 baskets full. He started with 12 broke men. He ended with 12 men full of plenty. Go to Psalm 23 if you would. Psalm 23. Right in the middle of the Bible, you're more than likely found the book of Psalms. Psalm 23. I won't take the time to go into it tonight because we're going to deal with it later on in Luke 9. But in, in Luke 9, in the same context to this story, Luke 9, later on in Luke 9, we'll see it. We'll get to it on Sunday. Jesus teaches this principle that those who save their lives will lose it. And those who lose their lives will save them. See, when you serve God, it's not a waste you know what's a waste? Serving yourself. You know what's a waste? Being selfish. You know what's a waste? Living for self. When you live for self, you'll end up with yourself. And it's not much. But when you serve God, you start with nothing and you end with plenty. I love Psalm 23. You, you know it. One of the most famous passages in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You should understand something about the Bible. In the Bible, there are reasons why things are put in certain orders. The phrase, I shall not want, means I'm not in need of anything. I have everything I need. You say, I'd sure like to get there. Okay, here's how you get there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When the Lord is the one leading, when the Lord is the one guiding, when the Lord is the shepherd... You will come to the place where you shall not want. Notice verse 2. 
Notice the, the idea of Psalm 23 is the benefits of serving God, the benefits of having the Lord be your shepherd, the benefits of aligning yourself to the will of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Does that mean, you say, does that mean that if I serve God, everything's going to be great? Not necessarily. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That's probably my favorite phrase in that psalm. God, God says, I'm not going to remove your enemies. I'm just going to prepare a table and feed you in the presence of your enemies. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Don't miss it. My cup runneth over. Amen. See, when you start with Jesus, you start with zero and you end up with 12 baskets. He anoints your head with oil and his, the Bible says, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There in Psalm 23, go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Do you know what the world gives you? Emptiness. Vanity. Vanity of vanities. I won't take the time to, to look at the passages, but we could turn to Ecclesiastes and look at Song of Solomon or look at Solomon, who lived for himself who said that he pursued all the money, he pursued all the women, he pursued all the wine, he pursued, he said, anything that my heart desired, I kept not from it. He had all the wealth, all the success, all the accolades. Anyone would look at Solomon and say, that guy is amazing. That guy is successful. That guy must be happy. But you know what we read when we read the, uh, the writings of Solomon? Here's what he says, I hated life. He says, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. You know what he said? He said, it's all empty. You know what the world does? It leaves you empty. <clears throat> Young people, listen to me. The world will leave you empty. Amen. But when you serve God, my cup runneth over. Amen. Psalm 37. Look at verse 3. Notice the order. Notice the order in the Bible. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Well, you don't understand. I don't have much. Uh, he's asking me to do something I can't accomplish. Trust in the Lord. Why does God ask me to do something I can't do? Because he wants you to trust in the Lord. Because he wants you to rely. Because he wants you to walk by faith. Trust in the Lord. Don't miss it. And do good. And do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. You don't understand. We have to feed 5,000 people. How do I do it? Here's how you do it. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Say, oh, there's 5,000 men here, and we haven't even counted the wives and the children. We can't be expected to feed all these people. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou be, dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Please don't miss the order. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You say, I want the desires of mine heart. Okay, well, here's how you get it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Verse 5, commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. See, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 it teaches us something about serving God. You say, what does it teach? Well, first it teaches us the demand of serving God. That when you serve God, you don't get to serve God by your rules. Well, I'll serve you, God, as long as I get this one day off, and as long as you don't mess with this. No, no, no. God will mess with whatever day he wants. We don't come to God and say, well, I'm going to serve you as long as you let me. No, no, no. That's not how it works. 
There's a demand for serving God. There's an enabling for serving God. You say, the need is great. I can't accomplish the need. I've just got five loaves and two fishes. There's 5,000 men and all their wives and all their children. God says, just give me what you've got and I'll take care of it. And then he says, there's a benefit for serving God. See, you know, here's the truth. We, we, we all struggle with pride. The problem with mankind is that we just think too highly of ourselves. The truth of the matter is this, that you're nothing. And I'm nothing. And because we're nothing, what are these among so many? We should just give it to God. Let him bless it. Let him break it. Let him use it. See, I'd like to recommend to you the life of serving God tonight. It's a life when you give your not much, you're not very impressive, you're not very accomplished, you're not... I got nothing to offer. You give that to God and let him bless it. And you watch him break it. And he'll make it enough. In fact, he won't make it enough. He'll make it enough and then some. You'll go home with 12 baskets full. The world leaves you empty. God leaves you filled. The world leaves you empty. But when the Lord is my shepherd, my cup runneth over bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this great story in the Bible. Lord, I pray you'd help us all to remember that the just shall live by faith. How does God expect us to accomplish these things he's given us to do? We just trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I understand that sometimes the things we've been asked to do, they seem so hard. Do you just want us to rely on you, relinquish what we've got, and realize that you're the one in charge? Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to trust the enabling, that you would take the little things we have and that you would bless them and break them and use them. And when we walk away with 12 baskets full, we would realize that it was good serving Jesus. A life of serving Jesus is a good life. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, Brother Matt, come up and lead us in a final song. just want to let you know that if you have, uh, if you're interested in going soul winning, we have soul winning this week. weekend or leading up to this weekend, of course, on Thursday and on Friday.